Welcome to the Australian Christian Lobby's Voice for Values. Welcome to Voice for Values. I'm Martin Isles. When are limits on free speech too much? It's a question that's often asked and it's been raised again this week in New South Wales. A bill has passed the upper house, which will, if it passes the lower house as well, see what's known as exclusion zones implemented around abortion clinics in New South Wales. Advocates say that these zones are vital to prevent the harassment of women and to protect their privacy when they're seeking abortions. But opponents say that the zones are unfair because they limit free speech and they go too far and they're not necessary. Government MP Damien Tudorhope is joining me today on Voice for Values to discuss this bill and what it means. Damien, thanks for joining me today. Pleasure, Martin. Um, Damien, I've just used the phrase exclusion zones, and um, uh, some of our listeners may not be familiar with that terminology. This is a law that creates exclusion zones around clinics. What is meant by that? Well, it's similar to the notion of uh, bubble zones, which are uh, used in the United States, but it, it is an area defined by an act of parliament in which protesters will not be allowed uh, for the purposes of expressing a view in relation to abortion. Uh, The only uh, industry which is covered by this bill is the abortion industry and people who have a view where they are canvassing uh, views in respect of abortion uh, will not be able to express those views within 150 metres of an abortion clinic. How far does that go? So uh, we've, we've said there that this, this zone is a radius of 150 metres from a clinic. You're not allowed to express an opinion in relation to abortion. What could be the effects of that? I understand the legislation says that it's, it'll be unlawful to communicate on the subject of abortion in a way that could be seen or heard that's reasonably likely to cause distress. What about, for example, a family member who is counselling uh, somebody? Uh, as they are approaching the clinic, or um, are there are there are there con- are there circumstances that have been considered here that that might be a little unusual that this law would cover? Well, uh, the unfortunate thing, in my view, is that uh, the family member who was seeking to counsel counsel another family member would, uh, in fact, be liable to arrest right. uh, because the test is not whether the act the person to whom the advice has been given feels threatened uh, or harassed. It is whether, on an objective test, another so-called John Doe uh, would be threatened or harassed by the subject matter of the uh, the communication. So that's part of the problem of this legislation is, is that uh, it doesn't offer any defences or identify any defences which may be available to a person uh, for the purposes of saying, well, I was only talking to my uncle or, my, or, uh, or I was only talking to my niece or my wife. Uh, in those circumstances, the, the fact that you were communicating a view, expressing <clears throat> dissent in respect of the abortion would uh, of itself make you liable to having committed an offence. And it's a view expressing dissent that's likely to harass, or I think is the language, but it's very hard to know, isn't it, what would fall into that category, particularly in the case of, say, an emotive subject like abortion. It could potentially capture any kind of speech at all. Well, in fact, uh, I think in, the, uh, in one of the cases in uh, the ACT, well, praying near an abortion clinic may be, in fact, although in that case there was no finding that they were protesting, but potentially 
uh, a group of people praying would fall within the category of communicating in a manner which was likely to threaten or harass. Well, they so, were arrested, uh, weren't they, for praying silently were, with their hands uh, in their pockets? Exactly. So mm. um, it, it's problematic what you could do once you're identifying as a, a protest group and someone, the objective person, so to speak, is potentially threatened or harassed as a result of your activity, then that may bring you within the circumference of this act. I, uh, I have a friend who uh, has a, a, a pro-life sort of uh, tote bag that, that, that she has on her shoulder uh, because she's part of a pro-life group. Um, and they produce merchandise and things like that. And even if she perhaps were walking through one of these zones with that bag over her shoulder, perhaps inadvertently, um, she could indeed be breaking the law. I agree. Uh, That person uh, carrying a bag which had on it a a pro-life sentiment uh, would potentially be captured uh, in breach of this law now. Um, so it seems to me that the justification for it that's being put by those who are uh, proponents of the bill is that there is conduct that's taking place near abortion clinics that must be stopped, um, that there's, there's, there's harassment of women, there's obstruction of women, uh, there's things going on that existing law just can't cover. We need these very heavy-handed laws to stop bad things happening. Is that true? Well, uh, if you read all the speeches which were given in support of the legislation in the upper house, uh, you would uh, come away thinking that there is a pandemic of violent uh, approaches to uh, women around abortion clinics. Now, uh, I must say that that's not my experience. Um, However, uh, if there are behaviours where people are uh, addressing themselves to people approaching the abortion clinic and calling them child murderers and and the like, that probably is unacceptable behaviour. But by and large, my experience of people who engage in this uh, conduct are law-abiding people who do not feel uh, any criminogenic profile and those people are now, by virtue of the view that they hold in relation to abortion, potentially going to be criminalised and going to face a, uh, a penalty of a jail term in connection with their with their conduct. Now, we are effectively, by this legislation, criminalising dissent. Now, it is my view that the proponents of the bill have never made the case about why it is necessary, why the, uh, why the police do not have sufficient powers to be able to deal with demonstrations as they currently uh, exist. So uh, I, I entirely supported the view that until such time as the police come and say we need additional powers because there is conduct which we can't control going on and we need this to be able to put in place, then really uh, we've got no business being in here regulating the views of the people who um, are potentially outside an abortion clinic offering either advice to people uh, approaching an abortion clinic or alternatively uh, gathering to pray about uh, the loss of unborn children. Damien, I need to go to a break now. Let's pick that thought up just where we left it in just a moment after this. Voice for Values at acl.org.au Welcome back to Voice for Values. I'm Martin Isles. Today I'm joined by MP from the New South Wales Government, Damien Tudorhope, to discuss the vexed issue of exclusion zones around abortion clinics in that state. A bill has passed the Upper House 
and if it passes the lower house as well, there will be restrictions on free speech within 150 metres of abortion clinics. And we've just been talking about the heavy-handedness of this law, just how onerous and restrictive it is, uh, and how it will make people liable to arrest who are engaging in nothing more than communication and perhaps even unwittingly. Um, and uh, Damien, we just came around in our conversation to this idea, this this discussion of whether or not there are things happening out there in the state of New South Wales that are so serious and so uh, pressing that such a heavy-handed law is needed. And we've, we've, I think we've arrived at the conclusion that there's just no evidence that that is taking place. These are people who are peacefully making their views known near clinics, but also I understand that there are sidewalk counsellors uh, in these places who seek to offer women alternative choices uh, if they are going to clinics. And these are people who have been doing this for years with, with significant effect. They've helped many women uh, as yep. a result of their efforts. And then we've seen children born alive as a result of their efforts. It's, it, it's a great thing. And it seems to me that these um, bill, this, this law would in fact criminalise um, that behaviour, actually offering women alternatives. Well, uh, <laughs> you're, you're 100% right, right um, Martin. Um, the sidewalk councillors and, you know, uh, in the upper house speeches, uh, there were those who criticised the qualifications of sidewalk councillors and say, who are these people offering advice to people approaching uh, abortion clinics and are they, in fact, creating a circumstances where um, they are uh, impacting on uh, the potential decision of the person to have the abortion or, of, in fact, harassing them. Against that, though, I say this, uh, there is an obligation for, prior to anyone having a, a, an abortion that they receive some form of counselling. No inquiry has been done about the adequacy or otherwise of that counselling uh, service. Hmm. The evidence that is available is that, at best, uh, that counselling service is preemptory and with a view to guiding the people into having the procedure. Uh, there is no money for the abortion clinic in circumstances where the abortion doesn't occur. So the counselling service is, in many respects, uh, designed to deliver the outcome uh, which suits the business model of the clinic. Now, the the notion of the, uh, the, um, uh, the sidewalk counsellor uh, being inadequately uh, trained has got to be compared with the expertise of the counselling provided inside the abortion clinic. Mm -hmm. And I must say that there is potential to form the view, and uh, others have formed that view, that probably the counselling that they receive on the sidewalk is more um, uh, considerate than the uh, actual advice which they are given inside the clinic. Now, to prevent someone from uh, suggesting to a person who is approaching an abortion clinic have you thought about whether there might be some other alternative other than having the abortion that they are in some way harassing a woman um, I, I, I think in the, in the absence of any evidence about the level of counselling which they receive inside the abortion clinic then uh, it's hard to sort of say that that amounts to harassment so really the issue is that the counselling that they're going to receive uh, is likely to be ideologically biased anyway towards channelling them into a... a, a Pass, that's right. And you rightly uh, identify this. There are certainly a cohort of women who, having been spoken to outside uh, a clinic, 
uh, as a result of that uh, uh, counselling uh, discussion, have decided to have or proceed with to, to full term with the pregnancy. There are children alive today hmm. because of the advice that they have received or the discussion which they've received before they entered the abortion clinic. Hmm. They may have uh, approached the clinic because they've got uh, issues with the, the relationship that they're in, because of pressure from their, uh, their partners, because of financial difficulties or whatever it is. And those issues have been addressed not by people inside the abortion clinic, but people hmm. outside the abortion clinic. Now... As a result of those discussions, there are children alive today. Hmm. There are equally as many women who potentially have, uh, who suffer from um, mental health issues, who wish that they, uh, that someone had spoken to them before they went to the clinic. Hmm. And again, I have to say that I think in the circumstances of this legislation, the, that body of women is are being ignored. Uh, by virtue of the fact that we are pursuing an ideological outcome which says that any advice given before people enter a, an abortion clinic uh, amounts to harassment. Damien, what kind of precedent does this set? I mean, what this is essentially is a law that says there's a certain topic that you may not speak about, even even where there's demonstrated benefits to talking about that topic in these places. If we're going to allow this to pass, what kind of precedent does it set for speech? Well, what I, and, and this is a really important issue because what we are, in fact, doing here when you, when you uh, take back all the layers of this legislation is we are criminalising dissent. Those views we don't like, we turn those people into criminals. Now, what's the next um, uh, area of dissent which we are going to address? Is it uh, potentially the person who doesn't agree with us in relation to uh, same-sex marriage. Are we going to criminalise those people uh, for the views which they hold? Is Israel Folau going to face a jail term for the views which he holds in relation to same-sex marriage? Because to hold that view is not one which we say uh, is acceptable and in fact causes distress or harassment to people who believe in same-sex marriage. Now, that's the, the territory we're in when we embark down this process of identifying views which we don't like, which we are going mm. to criminalise, and we are, in fact, going to send people to jail for holding. Mm, definitely a very serious and sage warning, I think, in light of what's going on. Damien, I need to draw this to a close. Damien, thanks so much for coming online, coming on the program and sharing your insights with us today. Pleasure, man. No choice. Voice for Values from the Australian Christian Lobby at acl.org.au.